Hello everyone, this is Edo Ninja and you are now listening to the Storm Connect podcast published by the Central Arts Network. I talk about gaming topics and anime series of my own interest like Ruby, Final Fantasy, Persona 5 Royal, and so on forward. The goal I aim to accomplish on every episode is to provide insights on these subjects that are usually overlooked to spread awareness and learn more. Remnant Rewind is a special segment of the show to where we talk about Rooster Teeth's Ruby, which is a 3D animated web show consisting of four anime-esque girls, Ruby, Weiss, Blake, and Yang, and a few other traveler friends to train to become huntsmen and huntresses. However, they are now faced with a greater responsibility, which is putting their lives on the line to fight off against the creatures of Grimm and a formidable foe that will be mentioned in this episode. So if you have no knowledge of the Ruby series, I recommend you check out the episodes at roosterteeth.com. That being said, let's rewind on Ruby Volume 8, Chapter 11. So fun fact for listeners here before I get started on this chapter review, if you're not aware about this somehow yet, every Friday evening before a new Ruby chapter premieres on the following day, a thumbnail and details of the chapter are usually dropped. Ruby fans and I as well anxiously wait for that and have last minute speculation based on what surfaced from the sites and for whatever that is, well, showcased to us before the actual chapter is dropped. Well, <laughs> that Friday night, no chapter details were dropped whatsoever, and all of us in the Ruby fandom were freaking the fuck out. I was freaking out so much in my Discord server, I was just like, hey, yo, uh, th- this is kind of odd. There there are no Ruby detail uh, chapters, no thumbnail, no nothing, and I don't know what the fuck was going on. I was freaking the fuck out. My friends were like, it's fine. I'm just like, no, it's not fine. I need to know what happens. I, ah! I was merely d- attempting to distract myself with other things and more setups for the podcast, and after a few hours passed, still nothing. Everyone did what they could in their own ways to get it to drop indirectly somehow, but, well, yeah, we, we just kinda all started to panic. And, well, I definitely panicked after, like, the first two hours, but, like, not as much, but after that, f- several hours later, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Eddie Rivas, who is one of the co-writers of Ruby, poked so much fun at us on Twitter, but he comes around later and says that he actually does not know what's going on sincerely. He also said that there was not any real reason for it to not drop on the usual time, nor does it contain any big spoilers in the thumbnail, the details, for us to anticipate longer than usual. So it must have been some type of back-end glitch from, and from what it seems, yeah, it actually wasn't anything too big, so, I mean, you know, I was kind of a little bit skeptical about that, because I'm just like, hmm. I thought what was going to happen was that they were going to release it like an hour before the actual chapter drops. It would not be the first time that they've done that, and I feel like they did that for the um, the finale. But, uh, yeah, no, but the more that Ruby grows, the more that we all like anticipate some type of um, details and uh, thumbnail for it uh, on, like, the day before, you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that was a wild several hours, and I honestly don't know if I could go through another wild ride like that again, but, uh, yeah, so if you know this now, I apologize that I shed some light into something you might be investing yourself into later, and could probably experience this, uh, the same shit like we did. Anyways, <laughs> I set it up. Let's finally rewind on chapter 11. So we start off with this chapter with seeing the kingdom of Atlas being surrounded by Grimm, which I thought it was interesting because in the last chapter, we saw all the Grimm getting blasted away from Oscar's nuke power, but I guess that they're back or I I, I don't know, or w- were they pushed back? I thought they all just like 
got eviscerated from that power, but I, I guess not. Um, but I guess it makes sense because after that message that um, Ironwood put out to the general public, yeah, it would make sense as to why like a lot of people are like so scared and fearful of the situation. Like no wonder like why this kingdom is attracting so much grim. It's actually insane. I I don't I never seen so much grim in a kingdom or actually in any place like that ever. And honestly. I like the look for it, so it shows of like how much that there could be never-ending Grimm, and well, they're at war. Following up with that scene, we see the Aesops having a little bit of a discussion regarding with Ironwood's uh, decision of holding Mantle hostage. Uh, I actually want to talk a little bit about this, actually. I'm a little bit surprised that we're now just having this conversation. Like, they already knew from the very beginning that Ironwood is just only saving Atlas. He does not give a flying fuck about Mantle. He made that very clear at the end of Volume 7. They knew this. Even Blake pointed out, like, you're actually leaving the entire fucking city to die. He's like, yeah. And what are you gonna do about it? And they, they were there for that. So it's like, you, you guys, are, are you guys serious? And specifically, I actually want to call out Meryl on his bullshit for this, on this consistency. Like I said, considering as to what Ironwood set his mind to since the end of Volume 7, and what we saw of the setup for the beginning of the first chapter, uh, dude, I'm sorry, but here's my thing, okay? Not only that you knew about this, but I understand that he's been having mixed feelings about this, uh, what Ironwood plans to do, and what he feels like is like the best decision, he's not saying it, but he's kind of like more so onto Team Ruby's side as to what they think is best. And also feeling that he just doesn't want to be a part of this anymore since it got so fucking complicated and just so fucked. But dude, when he fought Penny in the compound, he was like, oh yeah, if you do this, you'll save Atlas. And I'm just like... You're now worried about Mantle of all times? Like, I'm sorry, but it's just like, you already knew what the plan was. Did you did you actually believe that he's been bluffing since the end of Volume 7? Because, dude, oh my god, I'm just impressed that you've gotten a serious re reality check from all this. Sure, you can argue that, like, what he plans to do is to fucking blow up Mantle. That was unexpected. I will give you that. But, I mean, again, he said it himself. He does not give a flying fuck if Mantle lives or dies. But because of the situation they're in right now, again, he has no concern over with Mantle. He just wants to save Atlas. But more so with Salem having the Winter Maiden and the Relic. But I get it. I understand that he's been having mixed feelings about this, but he's just been following orders. That part is much clearer. However, with just now freaking out with basically of what his plan was, dude, th that's kind of been the idea since the beginning. Arguably, I feel like Mero is a little late to just now caring about Mantle and what the fuck Ironwood is doing. And the way from how I see this, like, you know, he made his choice into following orders. There's nothing wrong with that. However, the there are some things with this behavior. I'm going to take this logic, okay? Something that his behavior he wasn't exactly happy about, but like he just kind of followed it, follows it up anyways though. But the one thing that still stucks with me and the reason why I am holding him accountable for his bullshit was when he spoke like this to Penny. When he said, yeah, just do this, do that, and you'll save Atlas. Notice of how he only cared about Atlas and nothing of Mantle. I'm sorry, like I said, little late on that. 
Sure, you could say that he may not agree, but I'm just saying, like, with the way of how he was reacting, I'm just surprised that this is now happening of all times. Like, because here's the thing, like, even if he doesn't hold Mantle on hostage, he doesn't make that much of a difference because he's like, oh, yeah, like, either way, Mantle's going to fucking die because of Salem or him this time. It's just like, it's a... They're not exactly in the best situation at the moment because it's just like, let's say, like, they do leave... Atlas, they leave with the relic and going up to the fucking high sky, right? Mantle's dead. They're literally gonna die because of fucking Salem because she wants to fucking end humanity and for, you know, the sake of chaos. So why are you now caring about the lives of Mantle when your guys' original mission was to save them? He stopped on that completely and he had no intention or any signs that he wanted to go back to save Mantle. No, that was never gonna be part of the plan. It's just going to be worse because Salem is not around at the moment and he can blow it up faster than Salem bringing in destruction. Either way, Mantle fucking dies. There's no win situation on this. But regardless, that being said, with my mixed feelings with Marrow, I'll give him the props to where credit was due. It was obvious that he was going to speak up against Ironwood and, well, finally he did it. And here's another thing that I found really interesting. Uh, when Mero was speaking out, of course, the Aesops were just like, uh, dude, sh shut up. Uh, like, we gotta do what we gotta do. Uh, and the way of how Elm was expressing her concern. Originally, she was just upset, just like Harriet. She was kind of like on the same boat and like, you know, she's like, oh yeah, like, you're the enemy. You're this. She was always finding someone to blame as well. But now, like, she looks like that she's calmed down, and it looks like now she's showing extreme amount of concern, because, like, now she's a little bit more softer, I guess, if that makes any sense. Now, it looks like she's not even fond of this situation either now, which she's more fearful and worried rather than how she was in the beginning of the volume. Vine, he still thinks that this is, like, the best decision regardless, and Harriet, she just doesn't give a fuck. And again, Harriet just wants to be fucking mad, and, well, she still has not gotten over of uh, Clover's passing, so, yeah, no, here we are. Another note that I would like to mention, I was surprised that Winter was not exactly punished, so it was reassuring that she's still on the side of Ironwood, if you catch my drift. And, uh, of course, it was, <laughs> it was really nice when she knocked down Meryl, like, the Aesops were really surprised, they were like, what the fuck? You're actually... You're actually taking him into custody? Holy shit. I actually like that reaction. I don't know why, like, it's something, like, notable to mention, but I just feel like with what happened with the previous chapters and now Winter just doing that to show her loyalty to Ironwood, I thought that was really good. Maybe it's because that when Winter made the executive decision when she wasn't supposed to and put Harriet in her own place and, you know, Harriet snitching her and, well, that happening, I feel like that was like a good lineup, at least in my own personal opinion. Speaking of showing loyalty, I also believe that Winter does not actually align herself with Ironwood anymore. I feel like she's just now trying to go with the flow and ensure that she has her loyalty solidified up until the moment that he has to be struck down. Because, like, obviously, think about it. Like, she was going like, uh, wait a minute. Why drop the payload? And, you know, Iron was like, um, did you guys, did you guys not hear me? I, I said that I'm going to blow up Mantle. I wasn't joking about that. I've been saying this since the very beginning. Why are you all asking me the same question? <laughs> but with so much concern and the way of how she's been feeling, it looks like she is kind of 
going along with everything up until, well, she can do whatever she can do. So I guess that's why she was like, Meryl, he was about to fucking kill you. Let, let me, I'll take you into custody. Hint, hint. So I cannot wait to see how that unfolds. However, if Winter actually truly aligns, uh, aligns with herself with Ironwood to the bitter end. Oh my, I, <laughs> I, I actually have, I actually don't know how I'm going to react if I actually see that. I, I'm going to have to see if how that's ex executed, but so far as to how they've been showing with Winter's emotions and how she's been acting as a character, I feel like she still has a lot more to achieve and there's so much more of interest that can be explored with Winter, uh, at least in this volume and maybe for the next volume, I, I don't know exactly, but at least with this Atlas arc, I want to see if how Winter goes out with, uh aligning herself with whoever side or what she wants to do there's not much else that i really have to say uh with that scene so we can now move on with uh team ruby the segment with team ruby they're discussing in the uh Shneez mansion of what the fuck they're going to do with salem you know slowly coming back and accepting ironwood's offer or denying it or if they want to do something so uh, they're all fucking freaking the fuck out, and Emerald does not make the situation any better, to be fair, and honestly, I wish Yang punched the shit out of Emerald for that comment, because, like, I get it that she's here to, like, you know, she's no longer exactly with Salem, though, but I'm just here going, like, girl, y you are talking shit like you usually do, and I'm like, I'm gonna need you to stop, I'm gonna need you to shut up, and honestly, like, I was a little bit, like, I get why. I'm not saying that it's not exactly justified as to why Oscar intervened and defended Emerald, but at the same time, for that comment, like, she was the one who initiated that. So I'm just like, nah, I, I wish Yang punched the shit out of her for that one. <laughs> um, that being said, um, they also now know that Ospin is back. So I'm very curious that they kind of have been also mixed about that. Uh, and we also see a new side of Ruby Rose, which I, I, I literally have been waiting for this for so many volumes. Because especially to when they learned about the existence of Salem, Ruby has not changed as much. But we're now finally seeing that growth that she's been fucking needing. There were little seeds that were planted since volume 6. 7, she kinda... She's kinda like in the middle of it though. But volume 8, I actually... She's actually not annoying in this volume. And I actually really like that. And I hope... Sincerely hope that they keep going with this direction. There's gonna be a lot more to talk about with Ruby Rose, but... Uh, the most I can really say, seeing her so upset running out with this whole entire situation and feeling like she wants to fucking give up. I like that. I'm finally now seeing this fucking main protagonist having some new depth into her character. We're finally seeing something more about her that actually makes it very interesting. She is tired of feeling stuck and just things never actually moving forward. And now things are actually finally eating up to her where it's just like, oh, wow, this is a reaction I never actually expected from the character that is not exactly my favorite, but hey, I'll take this death, but we're going to go a little bit more to that death later. Um, before the new Ruby stuff continues, we pan over to uh, Team Junior. Obviously, this was going to be more of a Ren and Nora thing, but, you know, it, John just happened to be there, just going to be like, oh, yeah, let me let me just help you out real quick. But, you know, yeah, no, Nora is really fucked up. Even with John's uh, aura, uh, his siblings, like, boosting her aura, it's not helping her exactly. Like, she looks like she's healed, but, like, th those scars on her body, it's not going away. I mean, fuck, she's even lucky to be even alive right now. 
And honestly, I love the way of how this conversation started. Like, you know, Nora was just like, oh, yeah, same old me, same old this, same old bullshit, even though she's expressing of how tired and sick that she is of it. Uh, and proceeding on forward, like, you know, she actually, like, lets out all of her frustration towards Ren, which it was most definitely needed. Now, I'm going to say this right now, like, though what Ren was really angry about and the way of how he was acting since volume 7 to 8, after that explanation, it was justified. And the way of how Nora has been acting is also justified. And yes, I actually do agree with Nora. Like, the way of how he was pushing out people and the way of, like, how he was trying to not feel of this, you know, great responsibility and the hurt and the burden and stuff like that. Oh, no, it only burdened him even more onto him and to Nora and to everyone else, but mostly between with those two. And Rand's response to Nora's frustration was actually so great. Not only that he did open up, though, but... I didn't expect for them to talk about, like, you know, the relationship like that again, which honestly, I won't deny that I've had some type of worry about it because I feel like it wasn't exactly needed at the present moment of time. But the way of how this volume has been going, I would have to say that, yes, it is needed, but I was worried that it was going to be handled not as well, especially for the events of volume four and five and somewhat of six as well. But with this, I just... I'm glad things have not exactly dropped between the momentum with Ren and Nora as their relationship together. So the fact that there's even some talk about, like, what are they together like that? And especially for, like, all things considered of them trying to fucking save the world. There is a lot more going on than meets the eye. And I'm so glad that they're touching upon this very well. Although you can say that Ren had a point as to why he's been feeling the way that he is. Honestly, I would be a little bit upset too, though. But yes, he does have some type of responsibility that he has to take with his actions and not just him, but with everybody else, though. But I mean, the way how he was acting, it wasn't any better. But I again, it was well handled in terms of the story. But as to how they work together as a team, well, again, I'm going to have to give that point towards to Nora. But having this conversation helps them come back together, which honestly, like this is definitely part of the healing process that they needed for this volume, which I was worried about that that was not going to happen. But since it is, and obviously, like, everyone has to stay united against with uh, against Salem. Again, there are a lot of things that they handled well between with Ren and Nora. Uh, and also, like, she brings up about herself to Ren going like, Oh, this is all I've been known for this entire fucking series. Breaks the fucking fourth wall. I literally just make dumb jokes and smash things. That That's all I'm ever actually known for in this entire fucking volume. But... It just is so interesting, like, even though she breaks the fourth wall as to, like, how the uh, crew has been handling her character, they added in depth where it's just like, oh, wow, you actually feel bad the way that, like, we've actually been viewing her, not just us to the audience, but also to the characters as well, which I guess this actually means that we're going to get a lot more of depth with Nora. I hope they continue with that momentum because she mentions, like, I still have to discover myself because I don't know who I am without you. That type of thing with an identity crisis, that shit is actually fucking real. And she has to make a lot of soul searching within herself and learn some things about herself that she never knew. And I just hope that they actually touch upon that together. Especially like the 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 seeding with of how she's so passionate against with Ironwood back in volume 7, if you remember that, and as to what she believes of to uh as to uniting people and why she follows Ruby rather than what the fuck uh Yang was about to go on with her team in the beginning of volume 8. 
But what I do see in Nora is that she expresses, like, even though with, like, all things considered, she does express a lot of joy and love. I definitely feel that from her. You know what else is also great about this scene? Is that normally whenever things, like, go wrong, Nora is the one that usually talks and tries to, like, talk to Ren about with things and trying to communicate with one another and stuff like that and cheer him up. But seeing the roles reverse this way of showing up how Ren cares for her and, like, how much, like, they've grown apart from each other and coming back together, it's like, wow, this dynamic has evolved. I feel like it's evolved for the better, and I just hope it continues that way. Following up with that, she also follows up with going, like, yeah, a little bit more into our backstory when my mom left me behind you were there for me and that's how we became ren and nora that was such a great touch she also admits like with all things considered of her feelings she believes that she has to do things on her own before like she could say like okay you and i we could start becoming a thing this way like i'm always gonna be there for you like you will be be there for me but in terms as to how I am as a partner, I still have work to do within myself and I need to do that by myself. And I feel like that shows a lot of character and strength from Nora. And I love that. And I hope they continue with this. And of course, setting it off with the thing that actually made Ren and Nora special was Boop. You know, that, that, that little detail of their relationship that was just so, you know, not exactly important. It just shows of... So it just shows so much if you catch my drift. It's really hard to explain with words. It's just more of the feeling of how it makes their relationship special, especially of how the series has come a long way. I feel like this was one of the best scenes in Volume 8 in terms of a uh, duo character dynamic. Next up, we have The Birds, Curl Bronwyn and Robin Hill. I honestly hope to see them more often within the remaining chapters that we have left because in fairness we have not seen much of them uh in volume eight so i would hope that we see more of them into the remaining chapters and especially with our dynamic because honestly like for how their dynamic has started it's been interesting but with this chapter i feel like it's growing a little bit into something even more with our dynamic where they can learn something from one another and i'm actually really excited for that Obviously, Crow still remains to be hurt, and his ultimate mission right now is to kill Ironwood. And I like the fact that Robin Hill is not exactly going along with it, because she's just like, mm, I get it, you're hurt, and we're all in this fuck situation, and I'm angry at that motherfucker too, but you need to get a grip, and we all need to calm the fuck down. She's calling him out for his own personal interest as to be like, oh, yes, the best way to how to handle this situation is to kill him, while... Putting my personal biased opinion on the side, though that he is not exactly far off from the truth, it, killing him would be kind of ideal. Besides that, though, I won't deny her bringing up Clover in comparison to Crow and especially to his hurt right now. It was done in a little bit of a weird way, but like I understand as to what she's saying here. Crow has been seeing himself so inferior and less and less, especially after Volume 6 as to what he learned about the truth with Ospin. I feel like him continuously to fall and him having his character kind of shift. Like I said, it was a little weird, but at the same time, I actually like this. Maybe Clover being the counterpart of the Sevens was not actually a bad thing after all. I mean, I still hate those motherfuckers, but anyways... 
Crow does have some type of title and I really am interested to see of how Crow might bounce back from this or if he falls but i feel like robin is gonna be that character that's going to point crow to the right direction and who knows maybe they're like i said there's a lot of things that they could actually learn with each other as birds so oh man i'm actually really excited and i hope they continue with the uh those two as a pair together speaking of more character duos dynamics we actually get the sisters talking again what we've been waiting for and hoping for for this entire fucking series we see ruby and yang actually talking to each other as sisters finally now we had an interesting dynamic as to how they pretty much set each other off from the beginning of this volume but the fact that we actually see them come back together after for what's happened I'm so glad that they did not leave it just as that because they actually have an overdue conversation with the things that have happened and well about with their history as well. So the way of how they start this off is great. Ruby actually talking about the bigger picture as to what we've all been wondering about why she has not been concerned so much since the beginning. But yeah, she actually finally talks about something that's been very important. Summer Rose. They talked about as to how they were fighting off that same Grim, and Ruby was just like, you know what that means, right? And I love, like, Yang deep down knew. Like, when she said that she knew what she was on, but she did not want to accept the truth. She was like, I let's not, let, let, let's not. And then Ruby was like, no, uh-uh-uh, that's what happened to Mom. That's how fucking freaky this bitch is. And I am so glad she was the one to say it, because that, I mean... It's technically Ruby's mom. That's her mom, primarily. And the fact that she brought that up, and she was like, we cannot ignore the truth, and it hurts. And it's just like, that's something that we can't just ignore or stay quiet about. Like, th that... Seeing Ruby let that out was so great. I will say that it's definitely overdue, but oh my god, there was some power with this scene, and I love it. The one thing I will say that I actually do feel bad for Yang is the fact that, like, she's usually the one to break down. She always breaks down, but she always has to be that one that has to show the strength to everybody else. Honestly, I actually do feel bad for Yang. I just feel like she actually needs someone to be there for her, which obviously, again, that could be arguable to Blake. But, like, every time that this shit usually happens, she has to be the one to, like, pick herself back up together to help pick other people back up she has a lot of strength but holy shit i i actually feel bad for her that this usually happens that whole fiasco with the grim definitely added a lot more depth into their trauma that <laughs> oh god i just hope they actually are able to avenge summer for what salem did to her well however whatever she did to her and ruby continues to snap because she's just like you know what i what have i been doing we i wasted time I, we should not lie to ourselves. I wasted time trying to do this. We failed. And not only that, but I've been being childish. Which, you know what? I do have to agree with that. Ruby, to some way, she did not make the best decisions. And now, like, looks like she's had enough with her own bullshit as to what she's been onto recently. And somewhat earlier of the previous volumes, though. But mostly talking about with what's been going on recently. And now that that's stuck to her, I really hope they go off to another different new direction for Ruby because she definitely needed this for so long. And I actually like Yang's responses here because it's like, damn, she's actually being the older sister to Ruby for once. I miss this Yang. This is the Yang that we've all been wanting for it to come back because I don't like the type of direction that she's been having. But 
her acting like a sister like this to Ruby and actually talking like this, this dynamic was needed. I just hope they don't drop the ball like this. Honestly, I personally believe that we've had so much of the Bumblebee dynamic. It's time that they go back to actually focusing on the the story that Ruby and Yang kind of have together. Like, because it feels like it's been forgotten, but this just kind of gave the rekindling of hope here. Moving forward with this chapter, we see Penny trying to fight off the virus as she is also trying to fly off to Atlas Academy to open the vault. The way of how this was delivered was so... I, I feel like my heart has been shot. Oh, God. I just... The, the, this special robot girl, Penny, she's been through some shit just as the rest of the other characters have. And the fact that she mutters to herself to him, Ruby, kill me, kill me, and I will make sure you will become the Winter Maiden. That just, oh my God. It's just like, how could you just drop that? Like, girl, no, you can't do this. We love, you have much more to achieve, Penny. Come on. We're not trying to have a volume three again. Please, no. But the fact that this has been shown like this shows of how much character that Penny has come a long way. And she's always thought about Ruby so dearly and deeply. It's actually fucking insane. After Ruby's big brain tactic of John boosting up her aura to basically fight off against the virus for a little bit longer. I just love to see of how much there is so much dynamic with Ruby and Penny now. But... The one that I've always wanted to see, I believe I said this in my podcast before, but like I've always wanted to see the dynamic between Nora and Penny. I feel like they have shared a lot of things in common and the way of how they express their traits, I feel like it's just so great as to how they're coming into their own ways. And I just love what comes after that emerald. <laughs> Oh my god, she just came out of nowhere going like, oh yeah, like, you know, I'm trying to be inspiring here and stuff like that, even though, like, technically, like, you're, it's somewhat my fault, but, uh, yeah, go team, headass. <laughs> now, removing my distaste Taurus to Emerald, I will say that it makes sense for part of her character that she was going to switch sides eventually since she only pretty much aligned herself with Cinder, but... After for what Hazel did to Emerald, I really hope this shows Emerald as to like who actually cares about her. And she actually has been thinking of what did he do for her, for her to be there and not continue to align herself with Salem or even with Cinder at this point. But with that being said, now that this happened, it is most definitely, I will be surprised if this does not happen, but it will be very interesting to see Emerald and Cinder together again. Because I wonder what is Emerald going to do? Is she actually to go back to Cinder just because that she's kind of going a little bit rogue with her plans or still aligning to whatever the fuck's going on? Or is she actually going to fight off against Mommy Cinder and actually grow as her own character as for the time that she actually knows as to who actually gives a fuck about her? And Ozpin kind of just smushes his way in and he talks about... Uh, Oh yeah, this reminds me of another old fairy tale, which this kind of came out of nowhere, and it has a very long-ass weird title. Uh, a young girl flees from the consequences of a choice, and I'm just like, damn, that's kind of long. I feel like that was just kind of randomly made up, but like, okay, go off, I guess. But not gonna lie, that kind of sounds sleep, but anywho... 
Osman gives his form of an apology to the team, and their response actually surprised me. After from the events of Volume 6 to 7 to 8, I, I now look at this differently because they all go like, you know what? After for the actions that we have taken and everything that's happened, we are no longer mad at you. Like, th this shit is so fucking hard. There's a reason why I titled this episode, The Risks May Have Been Worth It. Like I said, after For the Events Volume 6 to Volume 8, I now have looked at things differently with their characters because at, in, to some degree, they still were kids, but I feel like they have definitely grown up after from learning the truth and after for the conclusion that they came down to, it's like, well, yeah, how can you be mad at this guy? The team, the writers, they took a big risk of how the characters have they've been acting since the, like, pretty much since, well, I'm pretty sure you guys already know the shift of the change of Ruby. They've been taking big risks. Some of them have not been exactly correct or exactly of what we've been a fond of. But so far, in terms of the main story and some character dynamics, I feel like, like, things are actually picking back up with, like I said... With the whole situation with Ozpin, <laughs> I actually like where they are learning from this. The duo with Ren and Nora. The duo with Ruby and Yang. All of these are finally now coming back together. I really hope we get more of this. I wasn't exactly a fan of how they did it at the beginning though, but the way of how they're actually concluding this and moving on forward, I feel like they're actually doing a good job with this type of deliveries. That being said, Ospin finally rejoins Team Ruby and the rest of the gang. So now this chapter was basically another setup for the finale, essentially. Uh, this chapter ends off with pretty much, oh yeah, that's a risk that we have not considered of Penny actually going to the vault and opening it up and give the relic to Ironwood while we also see the setup with Neo squaring the fuck up with Watts and Cinder. So, we are in for a treat. How they actually finally end off this volume, I don't know because there's so many directions they can actually go off with this. But, we're now finally at the final stages of this volume, which, uh, honestly, I'm really excited. They've been doing a great job keeping up the momentum with the previous couple chapters. Like I said, one, I was a little bit iffy about to some degree though, but the last chapter and this chapter, I feel like this was the best chapter of Volume 8 yet. So now that there has been a couple chapters out for Ruby for the second half of this volume, I have to say that in some way, they're actually not doing a bad job with this. They're actually doing a very decent job. What, I don't know what they were doing in their hiatus, obviously for besides with quality checking and such and doing their touch-ups, but this was fucking needed. And I feel like if we did not have a longer hiatus for the second half of this volume, we would not get a we would not receive a chapter like this. It was just so well delivered. I literally have minimal to any complaints about this. This is like a 9.5 out of 10. Now, here's the thing that I want to bring up. Uh see, the Ruby community, they've complained about in the past. Uh, in volume 4 and somewhat of 5 they were complaining the fact that usually the chapters are not great without action now that is true Ruby is known for its very creative uh, fights and action and great fucking choreography however there doesn't need to be action all the time for a chapter to be deemed to be good or the series to be good sometimes even 
how the show used to be and how the show of where it is right now, they have shown a lot of sides of the characters and so much depth into certain things of how like this is so dark and like just so fucked and how everything is coming back together and pretty much thickening the plot. This, like I said, this is a, this is one of their strongest chapters of this volume. I literally have minimal complaints about this chapter. This is like a 9.5 out of 10 for me. And you know, for a season or slash volume, sometimes you do need that one episode just to set up for the second half of what's going to happen to the finale. Sometimes th that shit usually just happens. It doesn't mean it's bad. Everything is now set up for the final three chapters. The characters are slowly coming back together. Everyone has a new objective that they need to fulfill. And how this volume is going to end? Well, <laughs> oh my. Are we going to, like, now that we got a nice chapter, like, things are probably going to go down south again. And I don't know if we're going to get a happy new ending or a happy ever ending, just like what we did for certain other volumes. But, oof, I hope to feel mixed in a good way type of mix of how this volume ends. So that being said, uh, I'm going to link this here into the podcast description, but uh, I was in a conversation with a few of my friends at my Discord server, and we decided to create a Ruby Volume 8 bingo board. We actually created two of these, one for fight predictions and one for more of lore predictions here. If you want to go off the board that we have on Twitter, by all means do so. If you want to create your own board, you should probably most definitely do that. This is just something that uh, the server and I have come up together and we're going to see how many bingos that we can get or if we can even get a bingo at all. Some of them may be a little bit of a stretch, but uh, <laughs> uh, if you've been following me for a little bit long enough, you would know to where some of my um, slots have some little biasness. Wink, wink. But anywho... The only thing I have to say, because there's a lot more things that I wish I could say, but I'm actually going to say that for the volume review. But the only thing I'm going to say is I am going to feel really weird if I do not see any character deaths by the end of this volume. We already have Hazel pretty much dying, but if there is not another character death by the end of this volume, I don't know how I'm going to feel about it. It better leave me off a good reason as to why nobody else was killed off. But yeah, that is all going to be for the podcast episode. If you're listening to this show on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave out a five-star rating if you enjoyed the podcast. Hit up the Storm Connect Twitter at StormConnectEN or other platforms this podcast is on for feedback on the show. I am dying to hear any feedback or any like comments as to what you guys think of my review of Chapter 11 or basically if you guys have your own input as to how this chapter went out. Or even what your guys' thoughts on what is going to happen at the end of this volume, anything of that sort, or the future of Ruby. I am just anxious as anyone else's for act that's actually dedicated to the show. So I would love to hear everyone else's thoughts on this, on to whatever I had to say, or what do you guys think of this scene, stuff like that, or like I said, to the future. This is Edo Ninja. Thank you all so much for tuning down to Storm Connect's uh, segment, Remnant Rewind episode, here today. Stay safe, stay healthy, and for fucking heaven's sake, stay smart. See you guys next time.